Very exciting. We're at part three of the Art of the Jewish Calendar. We are live, recording. And as always, we start our new custom with a quote of Hasidus, Hasidut, Hasidic thought. And we're on the topic of love for one's fellow, which is a major principle of the Torah and a major principle of Hasidic life. We learned, for example, that the students of the Baal Shem Tov, they understood that you could not be a student of the Baal Shem Tov if you didn't have a good friend. If you were a alone, you thought you could serve God just by your lonesome, it doesn't go. You had to have a good friend. And we also learned that the not, not just the students of the Baal Shem Tov, his close students and mystics, but even the simple Jews in the times of the Baal Shem Tov, he, he imbued in them this love for one's fellow to always look at others with a positive and um, happy perspective. And non-critical perspective, non-judgmental perspective. Somebody here. Yaakov, is that you? You're hiding? What are you hiding from? Well, we got a little visitor today. I am using my phone to record, so I can't give you my phone. Sorry, you want to say hello to everybody? Hello. Yaakov tested out the playground today. He went down the slide. He walked up the slide. And what do you think of the playground? Is it? It's not really for seven-year-olds. What do you think? Do you think the preschool kids will like it? You're not sure. Okay, That's Yaakov. pretty fun. Though. Pretty fun? Yeah. Okay. You heard, it, you heard it here first. It's pretty fun. We'll get a quote. Quote, pretty fun. Yaakov Marcus. No, I need to use this mic because I'm recording into this. It goes to my phone and then I post it on the whole world to hear it. Okay, we'll see you later, Yaakov. All right. Well, a little uh, station identification there. So let's do a new quote for tonight that we haven't done yet. And that is Ava Bitanugim. Ava Bitanugim means the love of delights. Let's see what it says. The Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, the third of the, of the Chabad dynasty, the grandson of the first Chabad Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, but his grandson was the Tzemach Tzedek, Rabbi Menachem Mendel. And he once said to his son, who was his successor, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Maharash, known as Maharash, Morenu Harav Shmuel, his name was Shmuel. He said, Somebody who helps a fellow Jew with his parnasah, which with his livelihood. Even if you just helped him make a little bit of profit. All of the supernal chambers on high in heaven are open to that person who helped his fellow. Even in the matter of parnasah and livelihood. And the Rebbe Marash added to that. You need to actually know the path of how to get to those supernal chambers on high. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is to help your fellow believe shalem with a complete heart. 
and with feeling, not to do it in a dry way, but with feeling, to actually enjoy doing a favor for one's fellow. And that's from the book Hayom Yom, which was compiled by the Rebbe from uh, writings and talks of his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. And that's the Hayom Yom for Chof Ches Sivan, 28-7, the day the Rebbe came to America, that to have an enjoyment and an excitement in helping one's fellow. Okay, well there's our Hasidic thought. Any comment or question on that before we get to Kiddush HaChodesh? We're good. We're good. Great. Okay, so last time we learned that in essence, by Torah law, there was no need to be so meticulous in examining the witnesses who would come and say, we saw the new moon. And the reason, as the Rambam explained, was because even if the court will make a mistake and the testimony is not correct, what's done is done. The fact that they said today is Rosh Chodesh, it's a holy day, even if it was based on false testimony, what's done is done. But then something happened. There was a development in Jewish history. And there were people who were trying, who would, who would, who would bribe people to go and testify falsely because they wanted to mess with the calendar. They were known as the Baitosim. These are the Sadducees, known in English. By the way, as an aside, we did a class once on the Dead Sea Scrolls that they found in the Qumran Caves. And those writings came from people who were in maybe not exactly the Sadducees or the Baitusim, but they, they followed a similar philosophy and path. And one of the things that they believed was that you begin counting the Omer between Pesach and Shavuos on a Sunday. Always on a Sunday. That was their belief. That's how they read the Torah. Because the Torah says, Mimacharat HaShabbat, the day after the Shabbat. Say, What's the day after Shabbat? Sunday. But the true meaning of the verse, as the tradition had it, was that the Shabbat in that verse is talking about Pesach, the holiday of Pesach. And every holiday is also a kind of Shabbat because you also rest from work on a holiday. And so as we do, we start counting the Omer on the second day of Pesach, Mimacharat HaShabbat, the day after the first day of Pesach, is the first day of the Omer. So they would want to corrupt the calendar to try to manipulate so that, that it would come out on Sunday, so that the day after Pesach would be Sunday. And so the question is, if so, if this was the problem, then why didn't this the uh, the court, why didn't they just worry about that month, which is the month, the end of, of Adar, right before Nisan, right before Pesach? The answer is, they just made a, a, a rule in general that they're always going to check and make sure because the Baitusim, the Sadducees, had some, had some um, incentive to want to manipulate the calendar. So he said, once this occurred and there was a manipulation going on, then they established new protocol. New protocol. The new protocol was that they would only accept witnesses that they recognized as being kosher. Before then we said innocent until proven guilty. And after that they said guilty until proven innocent. 
And secondly, that they would also examine the witnesses. Even if they knew they were kosher, they would still give them a serious interrogation. This is we're up to the third halacha. If two guys show up in court and they say we saw the moon and the court does not recognize them, they're not going to accept the testimony. So what do they do in the city where these two witnesses are going to head out from? So if they saw the moon and they're not known to the court in Jerusalem, so the, the court of the city, the rabbis of the city will send along another set of witnesses that will tell the court in Jerusalem, these guys are kosher. You can accept these witnesses. Because they know if they send them by themselves, they're, they're going to be rejected. So they have another set of witnesses who come along and say, these, you can accept the testimony of these witnesses. They're kosher. They're not coming to trick you. And then they accept them. Okay? Make sense? Panyatna. Four, halacha four. Okay, I thought you were going to ask, how are they going to know if the second, the second set is kosher? Were you wondering that? <laughs> they'll, they'll find another two that will testify that those second ones are kosher. Right, right, right. And so on, until they'll know somebody. Ain't la sof. So there's, I, there's actually a machloket. There's a debate about this. Whether the second set of witnesses have to be known to the court. This is in the tractate Rosh Hashanah, in the Talmud tractate Rosh Hashanah, and the com- later commentators there discuss whether or not the second set of witnesses has to be known to the court. According to some opinions, I think it's Rabbi Shlomo Kluger, by the way, who said that they, they don't have to know the second set of witnesses. And if you're going to ask, well, maybe they're also lying, maybe the second set of witnesses was also hired to testify falsely that the first set of witnesses are kosher, he says they don't have to be worried so far. As Rambam already said, even if it's made by a mistake, it's going to be kosher. So we don't have to be worried so much. We can, we can accept the second. Other commentators say, no, it doesn't make any sense to take another set of witnesses if you don't know them. They're no better than the first set. And according to those commentators, the second set of witness does have to be known to the court. Okay. Wait, wait. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Sure. The second set of witnesses testifies not about the case, but about the first case witnesses, kind of like you just outlined, right? Right. Okay. So they're doing the same thing now. The second set of witnesses isn't coming in to say, oh, I saw the moon or not, whatever. They're saying, no, we know this other set of witnesses is legit or illegit, correct? Yeah. Okay, so that's good. They're, they're being consistent in their, their thing. And they're saying that the second set of, in the other cases, uh, capital cases, the second set of witnesses are also believed. Yeah. So for notice, and you're saying it's the same thing here, right? Excellent. That's a great comparison. Okay. That's a so great comparison. I'm just, just, just you know. Yeah. Well, let, let me just repeat what 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 Ron said for for our for the uh, for the mass audiences. So Ron is is bringing a similar case where we accept the testimony of a second set of witnesses, and that is the case of called Eid Zomim, where you have witnesses who said that they saw a certain thing. Let's say they saw, we saw a loan take place. Let's not go to capital cases. 
You know, it's a nice Sunday night. So they we saw Alone take place in Burlingame at 9 a.m. between Mr. A and Mr. B of $1,000. Mr. A lent Mr. B $1,000. These two witnesses come to court and say that. Then another two, another two witnesses come and say that we don't know whether there was a loan or not between Mr. A and B. We have no opinion on that. But we can tell you that these two witnesses who claim they were there were with us in Palo Alto at 9 a.m. when they said they were in Burlingame. And the Torah law is that we accept the testimony of the second set of witnesses, even though it's two against two. It's their word against their word. But because, as Ron said, they're not testifying about the case. They're talk, talking about the individuals. We accept, the Torah says, it, it, remain, it remains a chidush. It remains something that, you know, the Torah would, if the Torah didn't tell us that, we wouldn't necessarily uh, get to that by our own logic. The Torah says you accept the second one. So Ron is saying, you're seeing a similar thing here. We accept what the second set of witnesses are saying because they're just talking about the witnesses. They're not talking about whether or not the moon was seen. So excellent point. Ron, what's your next point? Right, right. So we'll say we'll we'll correct for the record. Manipulate the cal- calendar. Okay. Is um. So we had this question. This was a great question, and one of the things is that we we were talking about now is that they want they wanted to change when Pesach would be. So there, at least for one month, we know why they would want specifically to have Pesach come out on a Shabbat, so that the counting of the Omer would start on a Sunday, which is how they believed it should happen, but. The way we explained it last time is that, you know, they just wanted to mess around with the, they were they were against the rabbinic, um, you know, um, the rabbinic tradition and the rabbinic. Um, they were the, they were the, the rabbis were the. Um, the mainstream, the. Um, the professors, but they were the um, you know, they were running the show. They were the uh, trying to think of the word. The establishment. They were the establishment, and so these people were 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 anti-establishment. So they wanted anything that was being run by the establishment. They, if they could mess around with it, they they were incentivized to do that. But it's a good question. We just also last time we said there could always be two nudniks who, for whatever reason, want to mess around. There's no shortage of nudniks. Um, in in, uh, in in our society. Okay, let's go to number four. Excellent points, Ron. Thank you. The court has to calculate in the ways that the astronomers calculate and know whether the moon is going to be seen in this month or whether it won't be seen, whether it's going to, still going to be hidden. They also calculate whether it's going to be to the north of the sun or if it's going to be to the south of the sun. They calculate whether it's going to be a wide moon or a narrow moon. And they calculate where are the tips, the, 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 what, he, what he calls the horns of the moon, which way are they going to be pointing. And so they have all this intel, they have all this information before the witnesses come. So they come prepared. The court does. The judges come. When these witnesses arrive to testify, they check them out. They say, how did you see the moon? 
Was it in the north? Was it in the south? Where were the points, the horns of the moon pointing? How high was it in the sky on, in, your, in your eyesight? And how wide was it? And so they interview these witnesses separately in separate rooms. And if it turns out that they come with the same story, if the story lines up, and I'm sorry, if, if, they, if it lines up, not with each other, but with what the court has established through their astronomical calculations, then they accept it. But if it doesn't add up to the astronom- astronomical calculations of where the moon should be and which way it's facing and so forth, they do not accept the testimony. So they use their astronomical knowledge in order to vet the witnesses. Seder, any questions, comments? Good. Rolling right along. Great question. And then the second the second refers to, I was at a class this morning at the JCC in Palo Alto, and the conversation was in the reference to the Sadaram, when it, if, if it was an, a unanimous decision in situations like this, then there was no decision because if everyone agreed that it went a certain, and maybe I misunderstood it, but if it was a unanimous decision of the of all of the seventy judges, then that judgment was annulled, and they and that person then uh, who the case was against was actually annulled. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's that's a great great halacha. And how did they how did they explain it at the JCC? Why is that? So, but just to, to uh, recap what you're saying, Charles, is if if there, if somebody is brought to court and he's accused of a crime. And every and all the judges immediately say, "This guy's guilty. Nobody is is arguing at all for him to be innocent. It's unanimous. So the case is thrown out. The guy goes free." How did they explain? What's the reason for that? Um, was because then it went back on the attorneys that they did not do a good enough job either to set him free or to convict him, and that the that the attorney the attorney representing one side or the other, depending if he was free or guilty, then didn't do a good enough job in, defend, in defending or prosecuting uh, Excellent. The, uh, Excellent. the individual. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, they, they did a good job prosecuting, but they didn't do a good job defending. And, they, and the Torah requires us to defend. The Rebbe has a very interesting uh, interpretation on that halacha. Um, it's the, the it's in the Sanhedrin, right? patru kulam lechova, a court that opened all of them, all of the judges. They they opened up with with lechova, uh, which means uh, for liability that the guy's liable. So he's 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 pator. So the way the Rebbe explained it is that if they didn't see anything positive in him, they weren't able. To, everybody has to has something positive. If they weren't able to 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 un, un, unearth something positive, something to be said in his defense, then as you said, Charles, they're not looking hard enough, and therefore their judgment is not going to help this character. In other words, how do we look at justice? Is not just to punish, or to be a, a um, 
you know, a deterrent for others, but it is actually for the person who committed the crime. It's for his benefit also, and primarily so. And, and so in order for this uh, sentence, even if it's going to be a death penalty, in order for that to be helpful for him, it has to be done in such a way where something positive was seen about him. And even if it's only one judge and he's going to be overruled by the other by the majority and this person will receive the capital punishment but the fact that the court was able to find something positive even if it had no bearing on the final ruling that is bringing out the goodness in this person awakening it and now the the uh, capital punishment is actually going to have the positive effect of atonement and of expiation that it's supposed to have uh that being said i that's i don't think we have that here in um in the laws of of uh, you know deciding deciding what's going to happen, but perhaps perhaps it is. We're going to get to that later on. And your first question, we are right at that halacha in halacha five about the clouds. So let's hit number hey number five. Amru ha'edim reinu b'mayim. If the witnesses said, we saw the moon in the water. In other words, the reflection of the moon. Or we saw it in the clouds. It was we saw it behind the clouds, so we didn't see a clear picture of it. Or we saw it in a mirror. Or they saw part of it in the sky, and part of it was covered by clouds. Or they saw a little bit of it in the water, or in the mirror, and a little bit the real deal. This is not counted as having seen the moon. The court cannot sanctify the day as Rosh Chodesh based on this type of seeing. Okay, so that, that is the first halacha in Hay. The second thing is going to be what happens when we have a discrepancy between one witness and the other. Says the Rambam, so one witness says, I saw it, the height in the sky, it seemed like the height of two people. And the second witness says, to me it looked like three stories high, three, the height of three people. So the law is those two testimonies can be combined. It's kosher, even though there's a little bit of a discrepancy, it's not so big a discrepancy as to disqualify their testimony. But if there's a larger discrepancy, and one guy says, Shalosh komot. He says it was three. It looked like three people high. And the second one says it was like five. So there's two things that could happen. Either we throw out, throw this out. This this pair doesn't work. But it doesn't mean that we can't test we, that we cannot sanctify the moon with this testimony. Why? Because maybe from the other people that came, the other witnesses who said they saw the moon, there will be someone who will match up with one of these witnesses, and that will be a kosher testimony. Otherwise, it's not kosher unless there's only one, not more than one uh, height of a person that is separating between them. Okay? Any questions on that? Charles, did that answer your question? If they see it behind the clouds, no good. Disqualified. No problem. The Rambam did it. I'm just reading. 
So uh, it's interesting because we have, of course, the, the custom of Kiddush Levana is the prayer once a month. We go out and, um, you know, say uh, pray to God, not to the moon, but we have to do it when we have seen the moon. And if it's cloudy and you can, you can only see the moon behind the clouds, you're not allowed to say the Kiddush Levana. We have all kinds of stories of the great tzaddikim. They would come with a, with a handkerchief and wave it back and forth and the clouds would disappear. So uh, maybe they did that in the olden days too in order to see the to see the moon. But if you didn't see the if you didn't see the moon, you just saw it behind the clouds. Doesn't work. So Rabbi, uh, yeah. Right. We're gonna get we're gonna get to that how we do it these days, but I'll give you the uh, spoiler alert: is that today for thousands of years we have not been doing this. This is all theoretical till Moshiach comes, because we have the the uh, calendar has been set. So we're going by calculations. We're going we're going by uh, by uh, by an algorithm that Rambam will describe later on, um, and but based on what we said learned earlier which is that only um, only a, a bet din, a court, that has smicha going back to Moses can do this. And that, that chain had been, has been broken. All right, that is our Kiddush HaChodesh for tonight. We will now go back to our Hasidic thoughts, unless anybody has a question on this, before we go to our closing with the Hasidic thought. Hill, Babakasha. Okay, let me answer that. So if they come, if the witnesses come past, I'm, I would assume sunset, it's too late. You can, they can't sanctify the day retroactively. If they didn't come on time, it's done. Right, but they saw. We're talking about that they saw the moon the night before, and they're coming and saying, and then, and there is a retroactive saying, yeah, from the night before is already Rosh Chodesh, but they could only do that before sunset. Once it's sunset, it's already the next day. It's too late. Could be it's, it's when the stars come out. I'm not sure, but once the evening is too late, and and but you're bringing up a good point that we're kind of in a limbo state. We don't know if this day thir- day thirty is going to be Rosh Chodesh or not. And so how do we treat that day? The Rambam will address that, and we talked a little bit about that with Rosh Hashanah specifically. That's a very big issue because we don't know. Is today Rosh Hashanah? Do we need to hear the shofar? Are we allowed to go to work? We don't know unless until the witnesses come. So this is a big issue, and we will see how the sages dealt with that. No, it, no. If if there were even if the science said that today you should have seen the moon the night before, if no witnesses came or if it was cloudy, nobody saw it. it you can't. You cannot. We said from the beginning that it has to be. Uh, it's kind of a hybrid the way they do it. 
It requires the witnesses. Even the, the science is not enough. And my second question is about uh, this is general about what, what Charles was talking about about uh, lawyers in, in Hebron. I haven't seen the written Torah something about lawyers. Right. The Torah concept using lawyers at all. Right. So that's a great question. Um, Charles did mention lawyers, but I, the way I understood what he was saying was that within the court, within the among the judges, they are required to think in a manner of a defense attorney as well. The, right. So it's that they they have to be thinking both in terms of prosecution, but also in terms of. Um, that 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 is within the court. It's not a separate entity uh, of an attorney. In the in the in the uh, Pirkei Avot it says, "Al tas hadayonim." So, no, in the, there was no, there were no um, uh, defense attorneys in the court. Sure, sure. Yeah, let, let's let's hold off for till till next time since we're already over time, our half an hour class. Um, we'll go to our Hasidic thought. I did want to say that Iran had a great question last time. I think I have an answer for it, but I'm going to hold off on giving it till we go through the rest of the Rambam to see if it becomes clear. But Iran's question to remind everyone was: It seems to be that the sages are kind of leaving it to quote unquote chance to whether there will be witnesses and they don't have they don't seem to have an organized way of appointing people go out and see the moon and let us know and why is it done that way is in fact is it in fact the way it was done or was there some kind of a plan but what we've seen so far it's sort of it seems to be that they just were waiting passively to see what's going to happen and if that is the case why was it that way so i do have an idea but i'm going to hold off on giving it until we learn more of the Rambam, but it will encourage everybody to think about that as well. Maybe come up with your explanations for next time. Let us go to our Hasidic thought to close out this beautiful evening. So this is another thought about love for one's fellow. And this is a mnemonic. So we this is from the Tzemach Tzedek, who, who said that the first four letters of the Aleph Beis, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid, are an acronym for the following four words. Ahava, which starts with an olive and means love. That equals bracha. If you have love and you give love, what do you get back? You get blessing, bracha. Gava, which is arrogance and is the opposite of love because it creates divisiveness. The result of that is dalut. Dalut means... Uh, poverty. So Ava leads to blessing and Gava leads to poverty. That's the acronym of Aleph Bey's Gimel Dalet. I once heard this as a story. Somebody who came to a Hasidic Rebbe and asked him, you know, what is the, what's the secret to, to, to business, to running a business? He was opening a store or something in the shtetl. And he said, the secret is Aleph Bey's Gimel Dalet. Ava is blessing. And I think he said Gzela, theft is Dalut. But here, Tzemach said, Gava is Dalut. One more. The Rebbe Marash, Rabbi Shmuel said, what is the worth of Hasidic 
of Hasidus, of all, of all the philosophy, and of all the religiosity, if the main thing is missing. What's the main thing? Avat Yisrael, loving one's fellow. And to yet cause pain to another. In other words, he was saying, how is it possible that there is can be a, a, a possibility where a person is very religious and they're studying Hasidus and, all, and so on and so forth, but they're lacking in the main thing, which is Avat Yisrael, and yet to cause pain to another. Let's do let's do one more. Oh, yeah, yeah, Iran, you say something? Admor, Adoneinu, Moreinu, Virabenu. Let's do one more. Um, once, this is a story. Once, the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Shalom Dovber, commanded his son, the Rebbe Mariatz, known as the Friedrich Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak. He said this, the Rebbe Rashab was the fifth Chabad Rebbe, passed away in 1920, and his son was the one who was in communist prison and was in um, came to America 1940, ooh, 1940, I think, and passed away in 1950 in Brooklyn. So, he, so the Rebbe Rashab once told his son to travel to a certain place in order to help a certain chassid who was a businessman. When the Rebbe Rayatz returned from his journey, he came to his father and he said, I fulfilled everything that you commanded me to do, and I did this favor to that individual, Bihidur. I did it like not just to fulfill my obligation, but I really did it. I went all the way. So his father told him, you're making a mistake. Ta'ut biadcha. Of course, sure, he said it in Yiddish. He said, you're making a mistake. You're telling me that you did a favor for your fellow. It's the opposite. The favor you did for yourself, not for your fellow. Why? For their fellow, it was God who did the favor. And he arranged shluchim, emissaries, who would, who would carry out his intention in, of divine providence. In other words, God's plan was for this person to be helped. And you were lucky enough that you were the emissary to provide it. This is how you have to look at it. So the good, the favor that you did was not for him. That came from God. What was the favor? You did it for yourself. It was a favor that you did for yourself. As the Medrash says... That more than the person giving the, 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 the charity to the poor man is doing for the poor man, the poor man is doing for the giver. Why? Because the poor man is giving the giver the opportunity to be God's messenger, to be God's emissary in giving, in giving this charity to this poor man. And Brad is not here tonight, but I heard it from his father many times. I used to study with his father when he was quite old and not well and one thing he would say was repeated is that he was he, he was quite wealthy and he said he felt very very lucky that but he, he was very humble and he said i'm just an emissary of god god gave me this these funds and i'm humbled that it's my responsibility to to pass on these funds to those to those in need so this is an incredible story, right? The Friedrich Rebbe comes back. He says, I did a favor to the fellow Jew and I did it well. His father tells him, wait a second. Wait a second. That's not how we look at it. The way we look at it is 
that you did a favor for yourself, that the person is got the favor from God and you were the emissary of God. So you need to look at it that you were the one who is the recipient, even though you think you did such a great achievement, you are the recipient in this story. You received the opportunity to be God's messenger to provide for another person. Wow. That's, a, that's, that's a, something to meditate on. It really can, it's a real paradigm shift in how we view um, how we how we uh, how we view our our favors to others. So thank you all for joining us tonight. We went a little over time, but that happens from time to time. And we'll look forward to seeing you again Tuesday night for more Kiddush Hakodesh, or tomorrow night with Rabbi Yale, same time, same place, same station. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you all.